electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much, and welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, earnings, the Fed decision, and how both will impact your money in the weeks ahead. We discuss and we debate that with the Investment Committee. And joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Surat Sethi, Josh Brown is here, and so is our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman. Let's check the markets, show you what we're doing just past 12 noon in the east. We're green across the board. S&P now on track for its best January since 2019, day one of the Fed meeting. Got a lot of data out today, and we're going to get to all of that. However, our top story is what one of our committee members is doing today, and that is Stephanie Link, because she is buying more Caterpillar as it is one of the bigger decliners today. Why are you making that move? Because I looked at the quarter and I studied it, and it was much better than the headline. The If you go through and you look through the currency impact on a one-time basis, adjusted earnings beat by 21 cents and grew 43% year-over-year. Core operating income grew 78% year-over-year. Margins beat by 130 basis points. So to me, and then I go through all of the various different segments, and every single segment beat on the sales line, and they got double-digit pricing and in two out of the three divisions that they have. And so I thought those numbers were pretty good. So, I think people are nervous about the restocking. You're going to ask me why the stock is down. It's the headline well, number. Well, I wasn't. I was going to ask you, like, how do you weigh um, the fact that North America demand remained strong? That's what the company said. Right. That's really important, obviously, right? Uh, but that China remains weak. So offset both of those and how you're thinking about why you added to the stock. Right. Well, I think China is in the process of reopening, and I think that's going to be your tailwind second half of this year into next year. So I think U.S. will stay strong. I think their digital effort will stay strong in all of the various different divisions around the world. And so you have margin upside from that, from pricing power. That's going to offset inflation. Inflation is coming down. We're going to talk to Steve in a minute about that. So to me, I think you have what, what I talk about all the time, Scott, operating leverage, positive operating leverage, I think, at least this year and into next year. Uh-huh. Now, the stock is up 62% from the September lows, so it has had a nice run. I'll say. So, so I get why it's down, and I get why it's also down. There's some restocking issues. I think that, that that's a big question mark uh, for, for the bears, not for me. But um, I just think that there's so many more positives and negatives, and I just think there's an extreme reaction. You know I call earnings season silly season for this very reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, what they report and what meets the eye is maybe not how the whole thing plays out. Now, so Leisman's here, and you mentioned him. You know, we use companies like this to sort of get a gauge on what's happening in the, in the global economy. The data today suggests weakness. Steph says inflation's coming down. We know wage gains are, are slowing, right? We had the employment cost index verify that yet again today. And here we are on day one of the Fed meeting with you with a Fed survey that has some, I think, really interesting results as it relates to inflation and the economy and what people expect. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it, there is a, there are a lot of cross currents. Sir, so what, what was GM today? They were kind of positive, right? Kind of. They were, were, were kind of. Stocks up like 8% because and, and they were really So we're going to sell cars, we're going to sell tractors, and we're going to sell planes. We know that from Boeing. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to be too pessimistic. And, and by the way, Scott, the recession probability did come down. It's, it, it's really elevated, but it was like at 60%. Now it's down to 50%. Normal is about 20 25%. So uh, both in Europe and the U.S. it came down. But just take a look, guys, quickly at the Fed's expectations. And I think the one screen kind of tells it all, if, if you will. Uh, 25 expected uh, uh, at this meeting tomorrow. 82% see another 25 coming in March. Uh, you reach a peak rate of 5%. Uh, you stay there for nine months on average. Some guys are at four and some guys are at 18. That's a little more know. hawkish than what the market it says. It is a touch more hawkish. Least. And then it's a little more hawkish, but it shows the division. Both the respondents aren't united and they're not synced up with the Fed as well. 44% looking for rate cuts um, both uh, uh, by, the end, by December. And, well, some and 44, December. 44% say a hold. Right. So you really have a split. Exactly. It's, it's, it, oh, let me give you one factoid, which I kind of like. Yeah. Guys, put up the S&P chart that I have there. Um, I just, you know, because I like to do average if and count if and have fun with Excel. So you don't see it there, but th- that's the outlook. Flat for this year, essentially, is the average outlook. And then up 10% for next year. So what I did is I said, what if you have a Fed uh, outlook that's under 5%, what's your S&P forecast for this year? And what is it if you're over 200 basis points separate, 200 points separate those who have the Fed doing more versus those who have the Fed doing less. So it's very consequential what ends up being the reality. Here. What means more to the Fed? GM, as you say, right, which was really bullish on, on their outlook. That's why the, the stock is up. Or that, you know, consumer confidence is, seems to be weakening, at least by the read today. The PMI Chicago was lower. Leading economic indicators have been weak. How do you make sense of that? I don't think the Fed has any greater ability to make sense of the cacophony of data that's out there than you do or I do or anybody does right well, now. Well, that's there, really that a, reassuring. Well, I'm not, I, I don't want to sell you false hope here, Scott. I mean, the idea is that um, there are a whole bunch of cross I'll give you a couple. Two months in a row of real consumer spending declining. ISM services contracting. ISM manufacturing contracting. On the other hand, we have jobless claims have been in and around or below 200,000 for four weeks running now, continuing claims not on the way up. Scott, I've made sense of this in a way that perhaps is unsatisfying, but it's the best I can do. We continue to recover from a unique and historic pandemic, Mm -hmm. and it, it is defying the models and the analogs that we want to overlay and help us understand things. The Fed wants to compare this to the 70s. I say this has nothing to do with the 70s. As do others. There was something that was passed around earlier that I saw that suggested this has nothing to do with the 70s. We have a global global supply chain that didn't exist in the 70s, and we have an information economy and an Mm -hmm. information world that didn't exist in the 1970s. Speaking of the 70s, 71% of respondents, Josh, say equity values are extremely or somewhat high. Relative to Relative their earnings, to their and, earnings and, and, and where the, yeah. the forecasts are. So we have to figure out, you guys do, what all this means to where valuations are today and, and where they should be, where they may be going, because where earnings might be going. The two things that you didn't have in the 70s uh, that you have today are probably the two things that are making this the most frustrating for all of us, um, because it's so unprecedented and nobody has ever seen it, read about it or lived through it. The first is trillions of dollars of excess 
uh, savings that, that is being worked down, but it still exists and it is still throwing a monkey wrench in the way we would traditionally look at an economy that's got tightening financial conditions. Why are the restaurants full? Why are the flights full? Why is financial tightening not having the effect that it would normally have outside of, let's say, things like existing home sales? The answer is people still have more money uh, and, and than they would have had in prior uh, episodes like this. The second thing is the labor force participation rate. In the 1970s, if you didn't go to work, you starved. That's not the situation right now. We have millions of people who are able to not go to work. And unfortunately, we have about a million people who died. So you say, like, where are all the workers for these jobs? Well, that's where they are. It's not satisfying. It's very dark. But that is a reality that they weren't dealing with in the 1970s. So we continue to have an extremely tight labor situation, regardless of what the Fed has done so far. Um, we've got big headlines about Google and Microsoft and Amazon. That's a drop in the bucket. Most businesses are still more concerned with holding on to the workers they have and giving them the raises necessary to keep them than they are worried so about. So is the Fed right, Josh, to bring down demand to, to equal and balance with the availability of labor supply? That's the animating idea the Fed of, can't of, print of, of people. Power. The Fed can't print people, and not every problem in society is something that monetary policy should be addressing. The reality is, if we had some sort of immigration reform, we would get some relief on the labor front, but it would take three years. So there is no good answer. The Fed has one tool, two tools. They have their mouth and they have the Fed funds rate. They're doing their best. But this is a societal issue. We don't have the workers. And a, a lot of that is because we've had a wave of retirement, some pandemic related, some demographic. And then you've got people that are just not coming back because they're no longer here. And you've got a situation where for five years we had no immigration, legal or illegal. We had net negative. So I'm not saying like this is the silver bullet that will solve everything, but it's a big part of the problem. And if you don't believe me, go listen to a hotel uh, chain on their earnings conference call. They're still contending with this issue. So I, I wish I wish this were something where we could all blame Jerome Powell and then he could go and fix it based on what we all yell at him. It's not going to get fixed that way. And unfortunately, well, the, the upshot for investors is what that might end up meaning is that the rate situation gets driven far further than it should because that's it's the right. only tool that the that's Fed what I'm has saying. That's with. exactly what I was what I was thinking, that they blow it by trying to fix something they can't fix and that the consumer is going to remain strong enough for long enough that the crack in demand is going to come maybe at the corporate level, but not on the consumer side. And they do too much damage to the overall picture trying to fix something that they can't impact at all. The other thing that was in the survey, just 7% right now of people ask see valuations as attractive. As we're having a conversation every day now about whether the rally from the beginning of the year is justified or not, whether some, some are suggesting this to start out of a new bull market, okay, that the bear market ended with the lows of, of mid-October, and this is the start of a new cycle. What do you think? I think that's hard to get your arms around. I think with the amount of cross-currents we're talking about here and what the Fed is doing in terms of trying to reduce demand, we do have supply coming on, so that is 
adding or helping pricing in terms of inventory. And you saw we go back to GM. Some of the, you know, their chip prices, their supply, a lot of that has come on. So companies are being helped by that. But I don't think we're back to a bull market. I do think what the Fed is doing is they're probably going to stay at this rate for longer than they should, which will then put much more pressure on the capital structures of a lot of companies. That's just going to happen. But expectations at that point will be really important. And I think one of the things that we don't talk a lot about is if companies can understand what the capital structure is going to be, it's a lot better than saying, okay, it's 4% today, is it going to go to 6 or 7 So I think you've got that cross-current going as well. See, Steph votes with her wallet, though, right? She, she decides that, you know, the economy is going to be strong enough, it's going to hang in there, so... You know, I'd rather buy Caterpillar on a dip than take advantage of the stock going up as much as it did and sell out of the position because she sees storm clouds ahead, right? That, those are the kind of decisions that you guys have to make. She makes one, I think, is clear to her market perspective. If you thought the economy was going off a cliff, you're not buying more Caterpillar today. Right. Well, and I haven't thought that for a while, actually. I think this year, actually, growth can be better than expected. And, oh, by the way, did we look at what the IMF did overnight? They actually raised global growth uh, to 2.9% for this year, ending in the fourth quarter at 3.4%. Now, they are often behind, right? Um, and so it's just one data point. But I look at Europe and, and earnings um, for companies, especially the banks, are going higher. The GDP is going higher. Japan, they, the BOJ also revised GDP higher. China hasn't even really reopened yet. So maybe, just maybe, it's, this will be a nice tailwind or an offset to the higher interest rates that we're going to be seeing here. And oh, by the way, I don't really think it matters if you're at 4.5% Fed funds or 5%. It's still high. We know they're going to stay high for longer. Then I would argue the consumer, to your point earlier, is 70% of GDP, and they are hanging in there, right? So maybe businesses will see a, t- a fall off, but the consumer, because of jobs, because of wages, look at, listen to what Amex said and Visa and MasterCard. I mean, People are still yeah. spending. Stephanie, we are a nation of you? spenders. And anytime you've gone against the consumer, it's been wrong. And I would just say, last but not least, savings actually went up last year. I wanted, I wanted to ask you about the global nature of Caterpillar, and maybe that's a theme for this year. What the IMF actually said uh, below the headline of global growth is that United States growth is like 1.4%, which is not so great. No. Um, last year, not a lot of people know this. Europe's economy grew faster than China and the U.S. Well, China and, was closed last year, so right. but, <laughs> it's but, not that hard, hard, but uh, high That's bar. a very big difference from yeah. the, the normal order of things, and you could just throw that onto the list of things that the pandemic has, has wrought. Right. Um, but maybe the idea then is uh, whether or not the U.S. consumer is, is good, great, faltering, uh, hanging in there, whatever adjectives we want to describe, maybe the real story is that the setup internationally uh, emerging IMF has emerging markets growing 4% or 4.5%. Let's say they're right. Like, that might be the right type of trade, and Caterpillar might fit perfectly into a world where the rest of the, of, of the world is better than the U.S. Well, that's just the, because of the cadence so of who's Jeremy I should Siegel. Well, that's not, that's not just Caterpillar. No, that's no, Starbucks. A, that's Nike. That's Estee Lauder. I mean, I have a whole host of these that's, kinds well, of that's companies. That's what Jeremy Siegel that suggested in overtime the other day, right? And the, 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 the international yeah. markets are better 
and, right now and, for the opportunity that they present. And the way you want to also go about it is doing the cats or the Amexes or all these other companies you're mentioning is because the dollar will eventually yeah. start going weaker. We've had that as a huge, huge headwind. That helps you when you've got companies with global exposure because now they're getting growth in Europe, Asia, et cetera. We heard that from McDonald's, you know, by so, the way, so uh, you, in this quarter. And, and if you see that and then you say, okay, well, where do I want to play? And then you look at Europe. And Europe's biggest headwind, and we were sitting here six months ago saying, oh, God, if energy, if, if, if we're going to have a cold winter in Europe, yeah. all bets yeah, are off. Yeah, well, gas 266. Thank right? you very little. So right? the question now comes for next year, right? Because there is a, uh, you know, people are talking about can Europe be ready for next year. But if you can get enough LNG in here, then that takes that completely off, and Europe can actually focus on yeah, so let, let's do this. Let, let's bring I like in uh, being the in-house economist to these uh, stock guys. Yeah, here. well, we're gonna have another. I want you to, to participate <laughs> in our next I mean, conversation. I, I, we're gonna make a trade on this show let's, right yeah, now. We, I mean, we are. Well, we are. Let's we're bring gonna, in. We're, uh, gonna, buy, we're gonna buy the third world today, right? <laughs> let's bring in Quadratic Capital's Nancy Davis. Uh, she joins us. It's good to see you uh, again. It's it's been a while. So, what are your expectations this this week? I, I, I've got to believe. Just knowing how you've been, you know, speaking over the last many months and how you've been urging people to be positioned, that you've got to be somewhat surprised that volatility in the in in the bond market has subsided to the degree it has. Yes, spot on, Scott. Um, Definitely, I think fixed income volatility did rise um, over the course of 22, but it didn't move as much as uh, as expected um, at the end of last quarter and into this year. So vol on the fixed income side is down, which is really surprising me, especially because the Fed continues to um, hike policy rates. But what about the balance sheet roll-off? What about quantitative tightening? Um, we had you know, so many years of QE and bond buying, you think going the other way would actually be vol increasing. So I think it's a good opportunity for investors to really reset and look at where they own mortgages in their portfolio, where they have short Uh, volatility exposure on the bond side of the portfolio because the Fed, a third of their holdings are mortgages um, on the the QE purchases, which is the SOMA uh, purchases. So what what are your expectations? You did not, by the way, vote in in Steve's Fed survey, which was one of the questions I asked our producers because I wanted your perspective on that. Where would you come down on on the idea of holding or cutting rates in, in calendar year 23? for the Fed? What are your your expectations? I mean, I I do think the market has priced in um, about 57 basis points of hikes in the first half of this year, including, you know, the market's expecting 25 uh, this week, and then another, you know, 25. And then the market is priced in cuts. I'm not sure if that's accurate or not. I do think the Fed needs to um, be more cautious about using other tools besides just killing Uh, and hiking policy rates over and over again. I think the balance sheet is a really important piece. And a lot of investors don't realize that in the eight weeks following the the start of the pandemic in March 2020, the Fed expanded their balance sheet more in that eight-week period than they did in the prior nine years of quantitative easing. So it's a huge balance sheet expansion. And I just don't understand why uh, Powell and um, the other FOMC members are not doing more there um, with the balance sheet. Why don't you, you answer that, Steve? I mean, the the um, the Fed thinks of the balance sheet like kind of like Godzilla in a cage. They <laughs> they don't know what kind of effect would happen if they let it out of the cage. 
<clears throat> so they want to keep it in the cage, which means they're going to do these regular roll-offs. The, the issue with the balance sheet is one of those stories where it doesn't hurt you until maybe it does. There's a consideration that there's this froth at the top, and it may be as much as $2 trillion, that the getting rid of which would have almost no effect on the market until you dig down and you hit some bone, essentially. I'm on like an eighth metaphor in this, aren't I, here? <laughs> Started with Godzilla, now I'm cutting bones. Anyway, um, until you get to a point where what they call the binding level, where you've all of a sudden created liquidity issues in the market. In our survey, Scott, liquidity concerns and systemic risk concerns went down which I thought was fascinating. People are less worried. We Remember we had all those liquidity yeah, issues no, earlier? Yeah. They're kind of gone now. No, but I think, Nancy, you, you were in the camp of expecting, you know, if, if not a, a credit crisis, which I don't think you were, I just think like a more messy situation than, than we've gotten. Do you, do you it's, think it, we're, It's also been the, for the Fed. It's been unusually quiet. They're, well, they're kind of surprised, too. Do, do you think that we're, we're beyond that? At this point, or is that still to come as the Fed tries to work through all of this in the face of what appears to be a, a slowing economy in, in parts of the economy and then strength in, in elsewhere? Well, I, I do like that Godzilla analogy. I've never uh, that is that is an interesting way to put it. I think the the thing to stress to your audience, Scott, and the viewers, you know, for those of you watching CNBC, really dig into your bond portfolios on the fixed income side and see what percent of those are short volatility. You know, very simply, a U.S. residential mortgage, homeowners are long the option to prepay, owners of the financial mortgage are short options, and a third of the balance sheet that is owned by the Fed is mortgages. So I think it's just really important for investors to not only be short fixed income volatility and to also add long volatility exposure, but not equity vol. I'm not talking the VIX. I'm talking fixed income ball, specifically interest rate ball. Um, so I do think that has been depressed uh, this year. I don't really understand why it's been going down, especially with, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that the Fed is going to do more with just uh, using their balance sheet more as a tool and maybe maybe don't want Godzilla out all at once, but having a little bit more than the caps uh, in place because the balance sheet is still over $8 trillion. So the well, current cap. I have to say, I think one of the under-discussed stories of the week was one written by our competitors over the weekend. Bloomberg wrote a piece that said a trillion dollars of money may come out of stocks from pension funds and institutional investors into the fixed income markets because of the rates being higher and it's attractive for them. And I think that while we all worry about who's going to buy that next bond, well, guess what? There's a whole lot of people a whole lot of fund managers that want to sleep at night when they have an interest rate that will give them a return that will match their liabilities. And it may be the answer to Nancy's question here, which is where's the volatility? Why are rates so well behaved? It's because you know what? At four, four and a half percent, it's kind of attractive to a bunch well, of money. What's so ironic about that? Or three that, and a half percent on the 10 What's so ironic about that is that as that buying pressure comes into the Treasury market, that has the effect of depressing yields. Yeah. And depressing the yields is how you get your FANG trade back. And it's what, pro probably part of the reason why the 35 most shorted stocks in the market are up uh, in the aggregate 19% on the year, and it's January 30th or whatever. Yeah. Like that, that, that bond buying, ironically, supports some of the more speculative areas of the stock market. Which all plays into what Powell's going to do tomorrow. I can't wait. You'll be down there? 
on the way after the show. Yo, so I'm I, coming down right, too. You know that? Yeah. Are you? I am. You're gonna yeah, be well, in the meeting? I mean, yeah. What are we gonna do for dinner? You wore that. You think you wore that combination today? Wait, you see what I wear tomorrow? You weren't going down there. You had the top hat tomorrow. No, I'm not gonna tell you. Where's the Nancy? Thank you. That's Nancy thank Davis. You, yep, we'll see you soon. Uh, Steve, thank you as well. Pleasure. Can't wait to see you tomorrow uh, with the decision. We have a lot more ahead on the half. Up next, our chart of the day on one big earnings winner as Surratt owns that one, plus the big call analyst Rich Greenfield is making on Meta ahead of its earnings tomorrow. He's going to join us later on in our show to discuss. We're back in two. We're back. Chart of the day, General Motors. Company surging after smashing expectations with a strong guide as well. The only person happier than you, Surat, is farmer Jim Labenthal right now, who's probably doing donuts on his tractor. Uh, but, but for real, this was pretty darn strong. Yeah. Right? They had... Every number you wanted, they talked about, you know, demand increasing. They talked about pricing coming in. They talked about, we're not going to let people go. We're going to increase earnings for next year. So kind of a perfect earnings report that we've been hoping for for a long time. And very interesting, too, as, you know, Tesla kind of came in the last couple of weeks cutting down prices. So this will be an interesting year end to see how auto sales uh, end up. I mean, the, the stock was doing OK um, to start this year, but this obviously puts it into a different you know, different light. I mean, and it hasn't done that well no. over the last year, no, though, even as auto sales were strong. Yeah, it, it really came off last year when the recession fears were, were really high. And then if you look at kind of what they said for next year, they're going to earn between six and seven dollars. This year is a little uh, five and a half. It's still you got a stock trading at less than seven times. So people are still not believing that they can get there or what they're saying is the bear case is those are peak earnings. So we're on the other side, obviously. I like the stock. I've been buying it for the last I know, but years. you know who thinks that you should sell some of the strength? <laughs> I know, my friend on the, my right over here. Never made money in it. O- over so, here. So. If you're, if you're a, share, if you're a shareholder in, in GM or Ford, for that matter, or Toyota or any, you think about the demand of the last two years, and now we're on the downside, the downward slope from that. If you can't make a lot of money in these stocks in that environment, when the hell do they ever work? From an investment standpoint, well, that, the the question hey, here is well, the company's doing great. <laughs> so, well, they, I've, I've asked the same question about airlines. Yeah, you're telling me every airline seat's full; they're charging top yeah. dollar, and the stocks haven't done yeah. squat. Well, it's going to be discipline, right? We're going to f- see if these companies can actually be disciplined and not cut costs like they have in the past. They're saying they're going to be. Let's see if they actually do. Let's see if GM doesn't get into a price war with Ford and Tesla. Let's see what GM does. Remember, they're, they're using their balance sheet to grow. They're not raising their dividend. So that's another kind of piece that they had before. If they were to separate electric from all the other stuff, would, like, would the multiple on the electric business probably wouldn't trade where Tesla's trades because that's well, stock a tech, that trade is six, right? Does it get a, get, yeah. does it get a, a double? Six. Is it, that the does right? Does it double that? Is well, that the uh, right? Is that the I know I, they want to go all in as a corporation. I think the way to do it is once they get into EV and it actually starts coming out, that could be a good chance to do it. You don't have to be making money in EV, but you need to show that your cars are coming out. And I think that's a little too early, but that's a really good point. You will get a lot more. But right now they're funding the EV part, so they'll have to kind of figure out the capital structure. But I do think you'll get a price to sales multiple on one. And uh, you know, but six times or the other. I want to hear from Steph. So why do you think he should take the money and run? 
They're very cyclical in terms of the stocks. And I look, I have a lot of cyclical stocks. We just talked about Caterpillar, I was say, right? You just started the show by saying how optimistic you are about the economy. Yeah, I am. But yes, I think Steph. autos, but I, yeah. I think autos are di- like a little bit different. I think you've already seen the recovery and I think you will continue to see the recovery. But it's so competitive. It's capital intensive. I don't disagree with they're you. They're not consistent. So to me, they're cheap for a reason. And so uh. I'm, not, I'm not, not a buyer. Look, I've owned auto parts. Yeah. I like the auto parts companies. I love Aptiv. If, that, if I can get that stock cheaper, you get exposure to the autos, but it's more technology centric. Um, and it, but right now, it's just a little too expensive. And give me something quick on McDonald's, too, which, by the way, you know, yeah. obviously, if you don't own it anymore, are you looking at it again? I, I am. But I, you know I have a big position in Starbucks, right? And I only have 30 names in my portfolio, so I want to be careful there. But McDonald's really was a very good quarter. I mean, U.S. comps at 10.3%, global 12.6%. I mean, total revenues up 5% on a constant currency basis. I can't believe the stock is down because they're going to be investing more in their stores to get more productivity. Uh, That's exactly what I want to hear from someone like a McDonald's. So but, but it's, it's definitely not cheap, on my, though. You're, that, you're so, darn so, right. You're right. It's so 25 thir- times. Yeah. And Star- but Starbucks is at 32 times. Right. So, so this is a space that's not very cheap. So you've got to be very selective. Yeah. Well, I mean, Starbucks is also up a lot over the past few months, yeah, like 25 or some odd percent. 52% since the summer. Wow. All right. Up next, another key moment for the semis trade comes today. AMD reports in overtime. We'll find out how the committee is positioned in the chips. And later, our call of the day is on Meta ahead of earnings tomorrow. Rich Greenfield, he's the analyst there. He Well, he's going to join us because we're going to find out where he thinks that stock is heading. It's a new call today, and we'll do it a little bit later on. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to Halftime Report. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Congressman George Santos said today that he will recuse himself from committee assignments until he has been cleared in the multiple investigations into his conduct. Santos, who has admitted about lying about some of his background, faces probes from the House Ethics Committee and state and federal prosecutors in New York. Police in Lakeland, Florida, are seeking the suspects in a drive-by shooting that injured 10. Authorities say a sedan with four people inside pulled up to an intersection Monday and started firing. 
Investigators do say they believe this was a targeted attack and not a random act. And Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin in Seoul today to reaffirm the United States' stance against North Korea. Austin said the U.S. will increase deployment of weapons such as fighter jets and bombers to South Korea. The show of strength comes in response to the dozens of missile tests fired by North Korea in the past year and ongoing war games in the region. Scott, back over to you. Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. AMD is set to report earnings in overtime tonight, offering more insight into the state of the semis. That group posting big gains, as you probably know, this month. Stocks up ahead of that. All right, Steph. Yes. It's a big moment, right? <laughs> big moment. I mean, especially after Intel. AMD was downgraded by Stacy Rascon, right, who, who was like flabbergasted at how bad he suggested Intel was. A little concerned about AMD. He was downgraded that stock last week. Um, what are your thoughts going in here? Well, I mean, PC exposure and gaming exposure, right? Those are both really depressed at this point. How depressed, I don't know. Where I do feel Well, you know how bad PC is bad. It's pretty bad, I know. But, I mean, is it discounted in the, in the shares? I mean, the stock is at single-digit multiples here. So, I mean, I, I think there are places within semis that you can invest in, and you know that I've been in the semi-cap equipment space. Steph, so, don't say LAM Research. I have to say LAM Research. Oh, it just got positive catalyst See? call at City. And actually, the, the entire reason I own it is because of what this person said, actually. <laughs> It's, you're near a trough in, uh, in memory and in excess inventories. I don't know if you're at a trough in PCs or gaming. That was my point. Like, I think we've had such terrible news mm-hmm. on memory, mm-hmm. and I think they were the first to lead us down. Memory okay. was the first to lead us down. And so I think it's going to lead us back, especially as you wear off some of these excess inventories. Not to mention the fact the stock has underperformed massively to the group. It trades at a 10% discount to the group. It trades at 14 times earnings, um, and their earnings power is higher this cycle, this down cycle at mm-hmm. $24 a share in earnings power versus last cycle at the trough at 14. So they're just a much better run company. So it's not that I don't like AMD, and I would love to buy it at some point. I just don't have a lot more visibility than I do on the other end markets okay. that uh, I have more confidence in. What about you, Mr. NVIDIA? Is that the best name for you in this space right now? Yeah, I really like what Steph is saying, though, about the capital equipment names. I think, like, you just have to say to yourself, okay, we might have another quarter, might have another quarter after that where demand is not great, but the cycle always turns, and we are already deep into this one. Um, These stocks have come down. The outlooks have come down. Everyone is aware of what the challenges are here in terms of supply demand. All the comps versus the COVID madness have wreaked havoc with those names. So I actually think uh, KLA, uh, Lamb Research, AMAT is, is still the crown jewel in, in that group. Mm-hmm. I think you can own them all if your expectations for the next six months are tame. Mm-hmm. Like if you could live with that, because I don't know when the, the real upswing will happen. I think it's worth living through that. So I, I, mean, I think well, what, do you, right. what do you make of the upswing, to use that word, over the last six weeks? In these names, these are trashed stock stock prices. Like I know, these are I know, stocks but is that, that so? They, they should is, bounce that much. I mean, do they deserve it? Deserves got nothing to do with it. Like these are stocks that were severely depressed. A lot of people threw in the towel at the end of the year. Definitely tax uh, related selling. But look how they acted when the overall market was making a new low in October. Most of them didn't. Most of them were done going down already. And I think that was an important tell. And, you know, if, if you look at 2023, 2024, and you're over what happened last year, and you're saying, like, all right, well, I do want to own some tech. These are, like, stocks that might be in a cyclical bear market right now. 
But the secular trend for chip demand, memory demand, it's off the charts. Like it's 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 something that you just have to think bigger about. And so that's why I talk about what are your expectations for the next six months versus what do you really want to accomplish here as an investor? Okay. All right. Stay with us. Uh, Rich Greenfield told you he's coming up with his big call on Meta just ahead of its earnings. The timing's interesting, to say the least. We discuss that with him next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Got to get to Meg Terrell, who has a news alert for us on Pfizer. Meg, what do we know? Hey, Scott, I just spoke with CEO Albert Borla. We talked about the fact that the U.S. is ending the public health emergency for COVID and the impact that could potentially have on Pfizer. We did confirm from the FDA today that's not going to affect existing emergency use authorizations. And Pfizer's CEO saying overall he doesn't expect it to have a major impact on the company. They were already planning on transitioning the vaccines and the antiviral to the more commercial traditional market in the second half of this year anyway. Uh, Along those lines, of course, they've announced the pricing of the vaccine could be around $110 to $130 per share, sorry, per share, per dose. Uh, That's up from $20 per dose where it began. And there's been some pushback from the political sphere uh, over that pricing. He called it responsible and cost effective. They have not yet announced the pricing of their Paxlid uh, Paxlovid antiviral drug. Uh, I also spoke with new CFO uh, Dave Denton about biotech valuations and M&A, as that is a big priority for Pfizer right now. He said uh, there are a lot of candidates out there uh, for biotechs, but the, of course the ones with good data and good assets uh, are more expensive than the others, but they're going to continue to be aggressive. Scott, back All to right, you. Good stuff, Meg. Thank you. That's Meg Terrell with the latest from Pfizer. All right, big call on Meta ahead of earnings tomorrow. The company was initiated just a short time ago with a buy rating and a $200 price target. Rich Greenfield of Lightshed Partners, the man behind that call, he joins us live. It's good to see you again. It's been a while, and, and I know you like living on the edge a little bit and being a contrarian. You've never shied away from that. But right before of earnings, now, why? You know, I think the reality is, Things are starting to get better. I mean, you've certainly seen Meta bounce off the bottom. And we certainly could be criticized for being late, right? This thing was in the 90s not that long ago. But remember, three years ago, this thing was over 200. A year ago, it was over 300. So this is clearly a stock that's still down significantly off of its highs. And I think what people are really missing is that 2023 is not going to be an amazing year. You're going to see progression and things getting better. But what we're really betting on is that over the course of the next three to six months, you're going to get a sense that the earnings power of Meta in 24 and 25 is substantially greater than what people are expecting now. And I think that's what's going to be the big unlock for investors is the acceleration in earnings, like actual earnings growth in 2024. I mean, how do you view all of the issues around the, you know, the change of focus, if you will, to the, the metaverse, the attention moving away? And these are my words, obviously. Um, from the core business, as some have suggested they have done. 
and they want the company. I'm talking about large shareholders, right, who've written letters to the company and talked to management, like rein in the spending, focus more on what got you here in the first place. Do you really feel like they've heeded that message? Because I think the jury's still out. You know, I think when I spend uh, the more time I spend around employees and people that deal with Facebook, meaning ad buyers who have relationships with Meta, meaning Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, their tone is that there's been a meaningful shift back. You know, Marnie Levine and the team are really shifting employees back to refocusing on what Meta does best, which is sell ads. So Mark's got his projects, and there's no doubt that they are continuing to invest, I think, a little bit less than maybe they would have otherwise done, given the the overall sort of what they're hearing from investors. But the focus on Reels is working. It may not be as much fun as TikTok. I don't think it is. But it is working. They have successfully copied the product and the, the sort of artificial intelligence, machine learning of how it shows you not things that you follow, Scott, like because that's what Facebook was about, right? It was you and your friends. The content that they sent is what you saw. Now it's basically just what does the algorithm think you'll find interesting based on what you've looked at before? That's what TikTok invented, right? Well, Facebook has invested aggressively, huge investment that's permanently impacted the margin structure of the company, but it's working. It's bearing fruit in engagement. And now the advertising is really starting to kick in. And I don't think investors are giving them enough credit for how much that's going to translate into revenue growth because it's a better advertising product. Full screen video is a much better product than what Facebook has sold historically with those boxes of pictures and ads before. Josh Brown has a question for you. Nice to see you. So when you you say it's working, financially it might be, and that would be great in the short term. And I think the street would respond to that. But what if financially it's working in the short term, but longer term it's having a deleterious effect on um, how, how much engagement the, the users will have, like let's say over the course of a year or two years? Because we, we've seen Snap and Twitter and other platforms make a change that in the near term led to more money for the company, but led mm-hmm. to uh, much lower levels of engagement longer term because people hated it. The Kardashians hate uh, the new algorithm, and they want Instagram to go back to being Instagram. They can't be alone in that. So I, I'm curious, like, what is that trade-off if you're a long-term investor in Facebook beyond just what they have to say about Reels this week? Look, Mark's proven us wrong. It's a great question, Josh, but Mark's proven us wrong multiple times. I and mean, if you look at the pivot to mobile, probably one of the greatest pivots of any management team ever. In, in moving from desktop app to mobile application and the mobile advertising experience that him and Cheryl pioneered. Then figuring out Instagram, remember Instagram stories, which was getting its clock cleaned by Snapchat, cut off the demographic shift of older users to Snapchat with Instagram stories, and now pivoting away from the traditional Facebook newsfeed to basically an interest graph from a friend's graph is a pretty monumental shift. And look, who knows, honestly, the answer to your question. I mean, anything is possible. But I will say, if you look at the engagement growth that TikTok has seen, if you look at how YouTube Shorts has literally exploded inside of Google's YouTube, I think all signs point to, and I think there's even some very positive signs you're going to hear about when Snap reports tonight of what's happening with Spotlight, which is their sort of TikTok-like product. But Reels is exploding, and there is no better company, Josh, at monetizing mobile time spent 
than Meta. That's why you buy this stock is that there is nobody. They are purpose built for monetizing mobile time spent. And I think as this mechanic starts to work for Meta, the way it's working for YouTube, obviously working for TikTok, I think the place to benefit from it financially is going to be in Meta stock at 150. All right. Good answer. We'll make that the last word. Uh, Rich, I appreciate your time. Uh, Interesting call, interesting timing, and I'm glad you shared it with us here on the Halftime Report. Rich Greenfield, you have been talking about reels and reels and reels and reels for months and months and months and months. Well, because it did well last quarter, right? I mean, it was $3 billion revenue run rate last quarter. I think they have to get to $5 billion for it to be neutral to monetization. So the question is, engagement may be very strong, and I expect it will be, just given all the checks that I've also done. But monetization is what's going to get you paid on this stock. And I think you have a couple of quarters to go on that that piece. So I think it's going to be all right tomorrow. Um, I'm hoping it's going to be all right. The valuation is very supportive, right? They are getting, they are fixing the ad targeting, the Apple issues, the privacy issues. So they are, it's, they are doing things. But I think the monetization for reels is really what's going to get you that next leg up and a re-rating higher. I just don't think it's tomorrow. They're not giving creators any choice but to use reels. And that's how they did this transition. It's, it's, it's like if you walked into Chipotle and there was somebody holding a tray as you walked in. Um, we're doing chorizo today. Buy this. Like A lot of pe- more people are going to buy it. The creators are seeing their stuff buried if they don't post in reels format. And that's what's forced right. a lot of this engagement. I don't know how long lived that that's going to be. I guess we'll find out. All right. Grade My Trade is up next. <clears throat> All right, grade my trade time. Josh is up first. Sam bought A.O. Smith at $56.08 on December 20th. Wants to know what he should do. Should he sell after this earnings beat? Well, I can't answer that question for anyone else, but I will tell you that I am not selling. Uh, I own the stock. I'm I'm a long-term investor here. It's a high-quality company, and when you buy quality, eventually it works out. Um, This is a dividend aristocrat, Sam. This is a company that's been in business since the 1870s, and they have raised their dividend every year for the last 30 years. There are very few publicly traded companies in that rarefied air. A.O. Smith is one of them. It's one of many reasons why I like the stock. All right. Stephanie Link, you're first. John in Kansas City. I picked up D.R. Horton with a cost basis of $88.05. Should I sell out of the position, take the profits, or continue to hold an ad on down days? What do you think? I would say hold an ad on down days. That's what actually I have been doing. I think housing is troughing. I don't know if it's this quarter or next quarter or even in the first half of the year. But permits last year fell 30%. That's a leading indicator. I mean, how much worse can it get? Meanwhile, inventories are pretty lean, and Dr. Horton is one of the best in the business. Okay, Surat, to you. Tony in South Florida, want to know about Constellation Brands. I have 50 shares, bought them at 241 Should I hold, buy more? Or sell? What do you think? Uh, we like the stock. I think at 229, you can add more to it. I think there's more upside to it. It's a great stock for what we're going to have face for the next year. If things do slow down, you've got some defensive mechanisms there, and it's also a growth stock because they actually have really good products in, in, in their um, in their categories. Okay. Thank you very much. Final trades are next. Overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern, snap earnings. So you're going to get an early read on what Meta might have to say about the ad market when Snap reports in overtime tonight. AMD, we talked about that. So an interesting look into the chip space. Joe Terranova has the latest on his ETF rebalance as well. So he's going to join us tomorrow in the half to really go through it, but it'll give you a teaser tonight. So you don't want to miss that. Let's do final trades. 
Stephanie Link, you're up first. Target. So 2022 was terrible. I think the setup for 23 is better in terms of inventories and products and market share growth. Thank you. Surat Sethi. Sticking with my General Motors, I think this end of the year is going to be a really good time to own the stock. All right. Good day to stick with that, as is A.O. Smith. <laughs> that must be yours. It is. Staying with it. Up, like almost 12%. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you in overtime. The Exchange, Kelly, is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.